0: I have a ton of technology companies that are trying to be a part of the Remarkable program that are creating technologies that make living with all kinds of disabilities, including cerebral palsy, much more resource-laden. They provide technologies that make mobility or communications or having a job easier for people with disabilities. And I mentioned Biomodem and Participate, but there are a lot of other companies that are Working in this space, and I feel incredibly hopeful that those companies will solve some of the most pressing challenges for the disability community.
1: Welcome to Healthcare on the Horizon. I'm your host, Jeff Ostroff. Healthcare on the Horizon is about where things stand now with the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of specific diseases, and how things might change with those in the future. We hope you'll find the information here useful in an educational sense, but also, perhaps in a more personal way, should you, a family member, or a friend have one of the medical conditions we cover. Please note, the information shared on this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for the advice provided by your physician or any other healthcare professional hi everybody do you or someone you know have cerebral palsy it's a lifelong disabling condition that affects millions of people all over the world the good news is the progress is being made toward improving the lives of those who have cp and possibly even preventing or limiting the impact of cp in the future i hope you enjoy learning what my guest expert michael perlmutter executive director of cerebral palsy alliance research foundation has to say about CP and the advancements I mentioned. To find out more about Michael, please listen to the episode or check the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you'll be notified immediately after new episodes are posted. Okay, let's get started. Hi, Michael. Welcome to Healthcare on the Horizon. Thank you for having me. Michael, it's a delight to have you. I had a guest on recently, Charlie Stewart who talked a little bit about cerebral palsy. And I knew before he spoke and when he spoke, that was one of the conditions that I wanted to have addressed on Healthcare on the Horizon. And I'm very glad that we can have an expert like you on the show. I would like to ask you first, Michael, if you could tell us just a little bit about your educational background and your work experience and Why you came to Cerebral Palsy Alliance Research Foundation.
0: Sure. My educational background is I'm a graduate of the United States Naval Academy, served as a submarine officer, and then was medically discharged from the United States Navy. I went to business school and studied entrepreneurship from a wonderful school in Boston called Babson. And I joined the Cerebral Palsy Alliance Research Foundation, or CPAR for short, in 2020. And the reason is extremely personal to me. I had seen this opportunity and I learned about cerebral palsy and then started going to doctor visits with my wife. This was during COVID. So everything was in person for her, but remote for me. And so I'd be on these video calls learning about all of the risk factors for having twins. And it was a high-risk pregnancy. And they started talking about CP as cerebral palsy as a potential thing that one or both of my children could have. And I thought, I need to learn about this. And then when this opportunity came across, I had been running a research foundation called the Partnership for Clean Competition for about eight years, the international leader in anti-doping research. And I thought this was an opportunity to help people like my family who are going through potentially what would be a difficult diagnosis of cerebral palsy for your own kids.
1: Wow, that's really interesting. What I'm finding is in doing healthcare on the horizon, what oftentimes is bringing our experts, our leaders of these different organizations in to work on a particular disorder, disease, condition is the fact that they have a very personal story to share about it. And that was also true with Charlie Stewart and his children. A couple of things that you mentioned that also stuck out with me, Michael, one is I have to commend you for your service to our country. It's extremely important, and it's also a courageous thing to do. And I will tell you that in my first career, the last third of that first career was spent with the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs in their healthcare system. So again, I laud you for what you've done for our country. Secondly, you're making me feel extremely blessed in a way. I, too, am the father of twins. They happen to be girls. Fortunately, everything went well with them. They're now 33 years old. And I guess I'm feeling even more fortunate now that there was no issue at their birth.
0: I want to be clear on one thing. So my kids had phenomenal doctors. And as a result of that, they were born early, but they are extremely healthy. And I love them very much. Poulton and Emmy, I have boy-girl twins. But it was all of the medical intervention that happened during the pregnancy that made that possible. And I'm just grateful for the doctors. I am the proud father and would be if they had CP, but I'm also very blessed that they do not.
1: Yes, it sounds like you are. And we may want to have you touch on this aspect of treatment a little bit later on as we move into this. Michael, when we hear cerebral palsy, I know that it's not one singular thing. And so I think it's really important right here near the outset for you to set the stage and tell us a little bit about cerebral palsy, or CP as we may be calling it here, including when it was first identified and about who and how many people it affects, roughly speaking,
0: around the world. Sure. It was first studied and named by William Little actually in the UK in 1853. But since it's the result of a brain injury, we think that it very much predated William Little's naming of it. And as far as how many people are affected by it, there's about 18 million people in the world with CP and about a million people in the United States who have it. Wow,
1: affects a lot of people. And of course, it affects those who are living with and loving them. What are some of the common symptoms? and effects of cerebral palsy. And again, I realize it's not all that simple, is it, Michael?
0: It definitely isn't. As a member of my team who has CP, tells me if you know one person with CP, you know one person with CP. Mm. It varies. It always affects posture, balance, and ability to move. It can be defined by the location and type of brain injury, and it can be defined about how it affects a person who has CP. So if you're talking about the location and type of brain injury, there's spastic CP, uh, which is about 80 percent of people who have CP. And that just means it's an injury to the motor cortex and it causes muscles to be very stiff and tight. There's dyskinetic CP, which is about six percent of people that have CP and it's damage to the basal ganglia and it causes involuntary movements. And then there's a toxic CP, which affects also about 6% of people. And it's a damage to the cerebellum and it causes shaky movements and affects a person's balance and sense of positioning and space. Some people have brain injuries in multiple locations. And so they'll have a combination and it can affect people differently. So some people have monoplegia where it affects one limb, hemiplegia, where it affects one side of the body. Diplegia, where it just affects their legs or triplegia or quadriplegia where it affects three or four of their limbs. But I think the thing that always sticks with me is that 75% of people with CP have chronic pain. 33%, one out of three people with CP can't walk. And about one out of four people with CP are nonverbal. And it can co-occur with a number of different conditions. So when you're talking about somebody with CP, you could also be talking about somebody with visual or hearing impairment, epilepsy, sleep issues, feeding issues, intellectual disabilities, and learning disabilities.
1: Michael, I'm hearing what you say, and it's making me think about the age which somebody gets CP. Is it a situation where you tend to be born with it or you get it in infancy? Or is it something that somebody can be affected by all of a sudden at 39 or 79?
0: It's a brain injury that happens during pregnancy, during birth or shortly after birth. But you actually hit on something that's actually a huge problem with CP, which is that it's quite often not diagnosed for a number of years. And that affects, obviously, treatment plans. It affects early intervention. And it affects the life of the person who has CP and their caregivers and family members as they're struggling to figure out what their child has and what they can potentially do to help the effects of that cerebral palsy on them throughout their life.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you clarified that. I had a wonderful expert guest, Tarazir, who talked about stiff person syndrome, which is a whole different condition And she talked about how long and hard it can be to diagnose something. And that seems to be a familiar thread with different kinds of conditions. I'm also wondering when you were describing the different kinds of CP, I think about autism and there's a whole spectrum of autism. Is this kind of like that or is it really different? These are just
0: completely different kinds of CP. They are different kinds of CP depending on where the brain injury happens. But since people can have multiple brain injuries that result in CP, you quite often see these things combine with each other. And so it appears to be a spectrum. The other thing that I would bring up is that people classified CP using a couple of different ways. The one of them is the gross motor function classification system or GMFCS. It has five levels to it, ranging from minimal assistance needed to maximum assistance needed. And so quite often people with CP are grouped not by whether they're hemiplegic or they have diplegic or quadriplegic CP, but how much assistance they need to function and participate in the world. Okay. So it's based on functionality of an individual. Quite often, yes.
1: You gave some statistics about How many individuals are known to have CP? I'm wondering if it manifests itself either in numbers or in how it actually presents itself differently around
0: the world, because as you know, we're a globally focused podcast. Absolutely. So there are countries that are doing tremendous work in this space. I think of organizations like the Cerebral Palsy Alliance in Australia, who has done tremendous work in early detection and intervention. And as a result, treatment, testing, and even policies in Australia, they've been able to hatch the incidents from one out of 323 in the United States to one out of 700 in Australia. Wow. And so you get... Countries that have really invested in reducing the risk factors, it both lessens the incidence of CP, but it also lessens the severity of CP. Because as I mentioned before, intervention happens quicker after a diagnosis. And the earlier the intervention happens, the better the outcomes are for the person with CP. And then you get all the way on the other end of the spectrum to... Lower and middle income countries where CP and disability in general is much more of a struggle because there's limited resources. There's limited access to physicians and technology. Quite often people live very rurally and even transportation to the facilities. It's a huge challenge. Actually, at CPARF and at CPA in Australia, we have disability technology accelerator program called Remarkable which seeks to provide startup companies with access to funding and mentorship in order to reduce the gap between the Australians of the world and the lower and middle income countries of the world. And I'm thinking of one specific example. We funded a company last year called Participant Assistive Products, which developed something called the Cub, which is a low cost wheelchair mainly for use in lower and middle-income countries because quite often, the mother of the child would be forced to carry the child everywhere that they went. They simply don't have access to transportation. They often live on rugged terrain, unpaved roads. And this company, Participant Assistive Products, is doing great work taking a piece of technology that we think of in the United States as being simple, like the wheelchair, and really innovating on it and making it much more affordable to those who need it in the lower and middle-income countries. And so it is a tremendous difference around the world. And in some of the work that we're doing, we're really trying to make a dent into some of those discrepancies.
1: Terrific. And we're going to get a little further into the treatment aspect and what you're learning about prevention and so forth too here, Michael. Just a quick follow-up question. Can I surmise from what you said then that the incidence of CP, just the mere incidence, not how long people have it or how bad it is or how it presents itself, will be greater in these countries that perhaps just don't have the money to put into research and treatment and that sort of thing? Is that part of what you're
0: saying here? Absolutely. So because CP is a brain injury that happens at birth, anytime there's a difficult pregnancy that requires more medical intervention by the doctors during pregnancy, when the baby is born and immediately after pregnancy, you see that areas that have lesser resources really struggle with that. And so you do see increased incidence, higher levels of incidence in countries where those resources are harder to come by. Okay.
1: One other question before we talk about current day prevention, diagnosis and treatment is there such a thing as a kind of specialist, I'll call it, who you go to when you think that you or your child has CP? So the answer is
0: complicated, as you would imagine. If you're a high-risk pregnancy, that specialist could be an OBGYN who's treating the expected mother during pregnancy. That's where I'm first at the interactions with low birth weight premature delivery that was with our OBGYN. Once a child is born, quite often it's the primary care the pediatrician visits that see certain warning signs for potentially a neurological disorder. And then once you have CP, there is a whole suite of doctors that are involved with the treatment. And ongoing care of people who have CP, which I didn't mention before is the most prevalent long disability that you can have in the world. So you were get it at an early age, either during pregnancy, shortly after birth, or during birth, and you have it your entire life. It doesn't go away at any point. So as we say, little kids with CP grow up to be adults with CP. Wow.
1: I really hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you are, can you please do me a small favor? Let some of your family members, friends, or others in your network know about it and about healthcare on the horizon. If you happen to like this podcast, my interviewing approach, or perhaps even my voice, please consider checking out some of the many services my business provides. These include podcast hosting, creation, and consulting, voiceovers, professional interviewing, Production of audio or video promotional profiles to help you sell your business, promote your services, increase your customers, or raise funding and services to help you market to the large and growing seniors population. That's something I've actually written a book about. To learn more about all of this and my other podcast, looking forward opportunities for job, career, business and investment seekers, please visit www.jeff.com dashostroff.com. You can also email me at jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Let's talk about present day. You mentioned as a good segue into this that fortunately your children are doing very well because of things that were done before your wife gave birth to them. In that vein, I'd like you to talk a little bit, Michael, about any recent or brand new developments in the prevention diagnosis or treatment of cerebral palsy. And I know that you did allude to one already, but if you can give us perhaps a sense of some other things going on, and you can certainly come back to that again, too.
0: Sure. So I'll give you two, one on the prevention of it and then one on treatment of it. I'll give a shout out to one of our funded researchers. Dr. Davis Lewis, leading a team at Washington University in St. Louis, and they're working on a project that prevents strokes, brain injuries, and premature babies. I won't get complicated or into the weeds, but it uses near-infrared spectroscopy, which is like a non-invasive light-based device to do continuous monitoring of oxygen levels in the brain and allows doctors to intervene if the oxygen levels dip outside of the normal range. They did a pilot of this technology and it showed a 25% reduction in negative outcomes, which would be huge in this space. And so we have researchers who are doing important work like Dr. Zach, who is trying to make it so that the injury that causes CP can be immediately detected and immediately treated. So possibly the brain damage doesn't actually happen or it's minimized in its severity. And then once somebody is born with CP, quite often physical therapy is part of their ongoing treatment regimen. And so last year, we had a company go through the remarkable program called Biolotum. It's a lower limb robotic exoskeleton. So it's a powered, basically robot for your leg that can be used to either provide power so that it assists you in movement or it can provide resistance so that it resists you in movement as part of your PT journey. And this company is doing tremendous work because physical therapy is often a part of how people deal with CP as they age. But it's also a part of just aging. People have mobility issues. And so Biomodem is just one of the ways that people as they age with VP can take advantage of technology that makes their journey easier and their mobility more acceptable.
1: Both of those sound very exciting. As we look into the future or what we'd say on this show, over the horizon, healthcare on the horizon, we'd like to provide our listeners with some genuine hope. And you've already provided that with what might be Happening down the road, hopefully not in the too distant future, to help prevent, diagnose, treat, or possibly even cure the different diseases or conditions that we cover. It may be what Dr. Zach is doing and some of the other things you alluded to. What else are you seeing that would give people reasons to hope that there could be some either reduction in the incidence of this? or at least some amelioration in the difficulties that people face who have it and their caregivers who are helping them?
0: In my role, I get to feel hopeful a lot. I have a ton of technology companies that are trying to be a part of the Remarkable program that are creating technologies that make living with all kinds of disabilities, including cerebral palsy, much more resource-laden. They provide technologies that make mobility or communications or having a job easier for people with disabilities. And I mentioned Biomodem and Participant, but there are a lot of other companies that are working in this space. And I feel incredibly hopeful that those companies will solve some of the most pressing challenges for the disability community. But the other side of it, which is I think is also incredibly hopeful on the medical research side, we received nearly a hundred applications for people doing medical research in the cerebral palsy safe. Things like technology, but also early detection and intervention, also dealing with chronic pain that, as I said, more than 70% of people with CP have dealing with new areas of medicine, like personalized medicine, regenerative medicine, genomics, absolutely incredible researchers like Dr. Michael Kruer at Phoenix Children's Hospital, like Dr. Zach at WashU in St. Louis, absolutely incredible researchers who are trying to create the next generation of medical research that will enable us to know so much more than we know today, but also to take that knowledge and translate it because ultimately we only do it so that it can have an impact on the 18 million people who have cerebral palsy already or future people who may have had cerebral palsy or may have had a severe case of cerebral palsy to have it reduced or maybe not happen at all.
1: Michael, it's very encouraging. I'm just wondering, does becoming pregnant at a later age
0: have anything to do with getting
1: CP? Part
0: of the reason that my wife's pregnancy was high risk was because she was pregnant with multiples. But part of the reason that she was considered a high risk pregnancy is because she was and I hate this expression, but of advanced maternal age. And so what they did during the pregnancy for her, because we had tremendous doctors, was there was constant monitoring much more than there would have been had she been pregnant younger or with one child. It wasn't continuous monitoring, but there was always resources available. There was always a doctor visit that was coming up in a week or something like that. And so... I think anything that increases the likelihood of a premature birth, low birth weight affects it. In our specific case, it certainly affected the care that we received during our pregnancy. Okay.
1: Michael, as you may know, one of the things that we like to do on Healthcare on the Horizon is to tap into the expertise, the knowledge that our experts have about these various diseases and conditions. In this particular case, What would be a tip or two that you could provide to help those who have CP or those who are living with them or assisting them to help them better manage that condition? What would be something that you would suggest?
0: I think that this is actually a tremendous question. And I come at this not in my position as at this organization, but as a friend to so many people who have CP. And what they say is, you need to remember that you are the leader of your own healthcare journey. It is quite often that people with CP and their caregivers have to manage a number of different providers, a number of different physicians that are all working to help them either personally or with their loved one. And the coordination of that care is a tremendous challenge. Making sure that doctors know what other doctors are doing, that your physical therapy journey and your primary care provider journey are related, that they speak to each other, that they're aware of the treatments and interventions that they're getting. But also building those relationships with those caregivers, those providers, so that you can really understand the reasoning behind the interventions that you're being offered. And I speak to people with CP. I speak to parents of children with CP quite often, and they always struggle. There are so many options for treatment available, and there are so many different providers that are in their lives, physical therapists, podiatrists, primary care providers, often orthopedic surgeons. And making sure that care is coordinated is perhaps the most important thing that you can do making sure that doctors know with the other doctors, with the physical therapists, with practitioners, all of those things, and really coordinate it so that your child or yourself are receiving the highest level of care. And that only happens when those doctors are speaking to each other and making sure that you, as the recipient or as the caregiver, understand the reasons for each specific intervention.
1: Michael, that is such a fantastic tip and I can relate to it personally, having been a caregiver for each of my parents, may they both rest in peace, because I know how many different interventions there were for each of them, and care coordination was not always good. And even today, in my own care, I wonder how much communication is going on, although it is certainly better than it has been. But care coordination is a challenge, And I can't even imagine how much of a challenge it would be for somebody who has CP. So thank you for sharing that tip. I'd love at this point to have you share with everybody a little bit more about what CPARF does, how our listeners might be able to help you out in some way, whether it's using your services. I know you do research, so there's a lot there. Volunteers, donations, sponsoring events. That's what we're about here.
0: I love that remarkable program that you mentioned. Sure. So Steve Harf is doing a tremendous amount of work right now. Our traditional research portfolio, so we fund scientific research in the United States that are the best and brightest minds working on solving the problems that we're still trying to find answers to for the CP community. We also do run this program, Remarkable, this Disability Technology Accelerator Program in partnership with our colleagues in Australia, where we fund startup companies that are working on disability technology. I think that there'll be between 10 and 15 companies going through it this year, between globally. So it is a global program. Great. And there's a number of different ways to engage with the work that we're doing. If you have CK, we'd love for you to reach out to CPARF.org. We'd love for you to share your personal story at facesofcp.org. It's an opportunity for people who are members of the community to reach out, share their story, get engaged with the organization. Obviously, we're constantly trying to raise money for the work that we do. So I'd love for you to become a regular CPARF donor. You can head to cparf.org to be a part of that. And we'd love for you to engage in our different programs. We're going to be hosting remarkable roundtables to enable members of the community to engage with the startup founders that are going to be a part of the remarkable cohort. We have teams in the New York City Marathon and the Five Borough Bike Tour this year that are supporting athletes. It's called Athletes for Accessibility, and it is supporting the important research and innovation that we do. If your company is interested in being involved, we have a lot of corporate partnership opportunities but overwhelmingly, I'd love for you to just reach out to the folks here at CPARF and get engaged, get involved. That is how we fund what we do, but that is more importantly why we do what we do. And so if you're a member in the disability community, if you're a member of the CP community, please reach out.
1: Terrific information. CPARF, C-P-A-R-F is in Frank dot org, correct?
0: Yes. And if you are one of those people that is on social media, we are on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Our hashtag is at research for cp And I'd love for you to head to our website and listen to our podcast and engage with us in all kinds of different ways. Our podcast is called Changing What's Possible. And our next season, which will highlight the important innovation that's taking place in the disability community, Uh, we'll start in that. I'm so glad you mentioned the
1: podcast. Michael, this has been wonderful. I've learned a lot. I'm feeling very hopeful for the future and for those who presently have CP and especially for those who may avert it in the future. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us, being on our show, Healthcare on the Horizon. Thank you so much again for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Healthcare on the Horizon. I hope you've enjoyed it and will benefit from it. And if you did like it, please share this episode with anyone you know who you think might also find it of value. And if you have any comments or questions about Healthcare on the Horizon, or any suggestions for future topics or guest experts, you can reach me at the website www.jeff-ostroff.com or through my email address jeff at jeff-ostroff.com Thanks!